Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Are we there? Okay, good. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's the Interview Series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for making your way here, checking out the uh, episode and the series. Uh, I do hope you hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out. That's uh, three new ones every single week. A uh, new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at all the usual spots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith today talking with Tori Amos. We get to uh, discuss Ocean to Ocean, an album that, that finds her dealing with the pandemic, uh, politics, nature, and her own personal stories from the past year. Uh, the legendary songwriter also gets into ri- about uh, writing an album with Voyages, uh, without being able to leave her home, fan expectations, and connecting back to her little Earthquakes album as a way to heal. Uh, Amos also going to tell us about the mu- or how the muses spoke with her in this latest set and the reckoning we all have to have when it comes to the nature and the environment. So uh, let's do it. Talking about Ocean to Ocean, it's Kyle Meredith with Tori Amos. Hi, Kyle. How are you? Ocean to Ocean. I know I think anytime you'd release a record, I would be complimenting you because I'm such a fan. Um, but this, there's something about this record. Um, there's some like I was a big fan of the last one with Native Invader, but there's there's some magic in here, you know, that 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 is happening. Uh, and I know it's not the best circumstances, but I want to tell you that you have made an outstandingly beautiful record once again. Thank you. That the goal was to um, make a sonic potion that would give people hope and um, make them feel, I don't know, um, like magic does exist for all of us, even through these crazy times. And I feel that too. And it's almost surprising, I guess. And maybe that's what I'm getting to. You and I spoke last year when you were, um, we were talking about your book, Resistance. And, you know, you told me at that point that you were writing and working on this record. And so I think I probably had just some very obvious expectations uh, of of what this was going to be but but knowing that since then even since that moment that we talked uh the political nature of the world got darker and crazier the pandemic raged on i'm sure this is an obvious question but so much happened in that time how did it affect what you wanted to write about uh, considering that you know as you're saying you ended up with a record that does have a lot of hope in it when we talked i was working on a very different record and I guess after everything that happened come mid-end of January, I was just at a place whereby those songs weren't resonating anymore. They weren't taking me out of this despondency. And I don't know how I fell into it um, because the first lockdown, I think I talked to you during the first one, mm-hmm. and we were doing um, you know these virtual book signings and kind of grabbing the opportunity with both hands as a, as a family here in Cornwall, like a lot of people were doing. But I think by a year later and everything that had happened, it was cumul- cumulative. And um, so it just seemed I, I needed to write myself out of where I was. I didn't know how to snap my fingers and get to a place of, as you're talking about, a place of magic, of transformation. So the muses kind of came to me and said, well, then write where you are. So if you're in the muck and you're in the mud and on your knees, then start there. That's our suggestion to you. And that was the beginning of Metal Water Wood. I think, of course, I was expecting... 
I don't know what would have been for a lot of artists, the big political record. And, and that those moments are on here. I mean, ocean to ocean, maybe the most direct is at least is how I hear it. How am I, I'm, I'm interpreting it. There is that line in there. Where have I been when all of this was escalating? And I think, you know, we all had to ask that to some degree, but, but you were it, like, it didn't, it didn't completely take you over. But I guess I, I guess the, the question I'm getting here is too is like that that song does still exist here, you know. So when you still speak to that moment, how did you want to speak to it? Well, interesting question because I think I think the whole thing did take me over the last, I don't know, nine months of before um I guess my timeline, I need to be more specific. I I think I was overwhelmed like a lot of people. By the time end of January 2021 came, it was just like enough. Energetically, uh, a political record, the one that I was writing, wasn't what was making me want to get out of my chair. I just said, I don't want to go play those songs. It doesn't take me to a place where I want to go. I've had enough of that. And, and I, I guess I kind of said resistance did her job. That was a job to resist tyranny, to speak out against that, to speak out against, um, well, cruelty and hurting other people. And so I needed something that um, was, well, hopefully what Ocean to Ocean became, even though we're speaking about grief and loss and those kinds of things. But there is also trans transmutation happening and change happening as hopefully as you listen to it. Absolutely. Does that spill over a little bit into Devil's Bane? And I, I only, of course, I'm asking because when I hear the words, see the words, lies, corruption, sermons, conspiracies, uh, I know what I get from it. Did, does a bit of what we're talking about spill into that song as well? Well, sure. I think you're, yeah, I think you're spot on with that. There, I was reflecting our time, but Maybe perhaps the songs that I had been writing a year ago were just a bit more literal. And um, it, it just became clear that I needed the poetry. I, need, I needed nature involved. I needed to tell the story in a different way. And so I, lo I love the Southwest. I'm, it's one of my favorite places in the whole world, the Southwest in, in the United States. And um, I don't know. I think I just missed it so much <laughs> that I decided to put to frame that story that needed to be told and reflect our time, but in that um, particular area in the world. I, I love how you've talked about um, in other interviews in the press release too about not being able to travel, but how you traveled. Um, almost in a similar way, in my family, we got one of those virtual reality. Uh, gaming systems, the Oculus, and uh, and that and we did a lot of we went actually travel, you know, Google Maps and stuff like that. Hearing how, as you talk about the Southwest, what is uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What does that mean for you when you're you know you close your eyes and you go somewhere else? And and I mean we know how to use our imaginations, all of us, but I feel like that means something different in the way you wrote these songs. Well, I guess um, normally I would take pilgrimage, is what I've called it before. So I would travel to places that would shake up my routine. And just by shaking up your routine, then you, you open a door for anything to happen. And my observations become more keen, and I'm more aware. And so that's how I would sort of try and rattle um, the songs for each album. I take these pilgrimages to different places where I travel and I love, I love to travel. So that being off the table, really, uh, I had to find different ways to travel without leaving um, the, the house here in Cornwall. Yes, we could go to the coast and I did do that. And I was able to do that. And what a coast it is in Cornwall. I mean, it's, it's beyond description and I hope I was able to try and do it a bit of justice in the songs, her her majesty and her beauty. But she's also um, wild. the 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 coast is wild and rocky, and it's it's um, 
quite a teacher. And I found it really humbling to sort of be in this presence of this, I don't know, this ferocious beauty. It paints. I mean, you always paint a picture. <laughs> and I say, I say it's a compliment. You build a world. You build this world visually. I mean, through your music, like I, I see the places as you're talking about, I see the colors, uh, whether you're mentioning colors or not. And I, I think that's always been one of my favorite things as a fan of listening to your music, um, especially on this one. You're like, <laughs> I hope this doesn't come across too corny, uh, you know, spies and, and forest. And I know some of these times they're, they're a bit of metaphors, which is what I'm getting to as a performer. And I think back to the way you've written about like in your DC days when you were playing the piano in these bars and you knew how to work a crowd, you know, as that type of performer, is there a sense of reading the audience while you're making an album? Because, you know, you do bring up these mystical worlds and yourself, you know, sometimes becomes a mythical character, whether it's the narrator in the song or whatever. Like, do you have that sense while you're creating uh, the album like you would in a live show? Wow. I haven't really thought about that. Uh, I did get some letters, to be honest with you. So I, I got a sense from people about what they were going through, about what they were dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it was a young mom who had two young ones at home and was working full-time on the Zoom and trying to negotiate that while her husband was working full-time in his room and just the pressure cooker environment that she described to me. Um, so that challenge was something that I wasn't going through that particular challenge, but then having empathy for, for this woman's day-to-day um, -day trial. And then there was somebody on the front line who was who was wearing a hazmat suit that would be there trying to help people. And while she's doing this, people would spit at her, just spit at her. And so all these stories, at a certain point, I realized, gosh, come on, step out of Victoria. You got, you've got to, you're in Cornwall, and this is a very magical place. The gales can blow and it can be freezing. And it, like I told you, there, there can be this paradox of this brutal um, gorgeousness. Those two things can live together. I know it sounds a bit crazy, but this is an unusual land and it has ancient feelings about it. And so once I surrendered to it and just said, okay, you seem to not be locked down at all. You seem to be regenerating. And so I just, I humble myself to you, uh, land of Cornwall, to Earth Mother. And if, if you'll show me, then I want to try and put this into sonic form. How do I put you in a sonic form and what people are experiencing all in the same album? And they said, well, you need to come outside every day, little lady. And you need, <laughs> this is your homework. You have to come out and just listen. Listen to the trees. Be quiet. Don't say anything. Just sit and listen, and we'll show you. So the obvious follow-up, what was the answer to that sonic um, version of that? The sonic version of that. You mean a song, a particular song on the record? I think I'm asking about the whole record, like if, if, that's, if that's possible to answer it in that way. Like, was there once you realize what it would sound like musically, obviously we've been talking about the lyrics, but musically, what did the album, what, what direction did that end up taking? Well, when I played um, Metal Waterwood to Mark, who I've been working with, I happened to be married to him and I happened to be in lockdown with a husband who was a sound engineer. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, lucky me and lucky him, my God, poor, poor guy. And, he would say, would you and these muses please hurry up? We are never going to make this deadline. And the truth is I was writing while we were mixing. That's how close I pushed this record. But it was collaborative, to be honest with you. Um, he set all these keyboards up for me, including the Busendorfer, and they were all ready to go. And and so I'd run around to the different keyboards and try uh, 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 something on, say, 
I don't know, the uh, the CP80 keyboard. Then I'd try something on the roads. Then I'd run to the B3 organ. Then I'd run to the Whirly, what, whatever. And then we would send it to Matt Chamberlain, the great drummer over in L.A. And he would send his impression with his rhythm language. And then that would come back to us back in Cornwall on this side of the Atlantic. And then we'd send it to John Evans, who was in Cape Cod, um, on the other side of the Atlantic, and then it would come back and we'd add some more. And then it would go back to Philly on the Pacific side, back in LA, and then it would come back. Do you see? So it really was going from ocean to ocean. That's uh, I hadn't put all that part together, and it, it sounds so obvious. By the way, Matt Chamberlain, um, just a quick aside here, is one of my favorite drummers of all time. And yep. I know, you know, certain musicians, you put them together and you get certain recipes, and the recipe that you all make is just, it's the best, just the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, playing with him is is a dream. It's a dream boat. There's no, you know, that's all I can say. Anybody who's ever played with him, it's a dream. Yeah, truly. Um, it wasn't lost on you because a song ended up on here that referenced it, but um, it did have a sense of the past sonically. Uh, not that it sounded like the past, but there was that sense there. It, I, I don't know if that led you to write the song 29 or if it was that if 29 came first and you kind of leaned into it, like when did you have feel start feeling that connection back to little earthquakes? Ooh, um, so our daughter, Tash, has a boyfriend called Oliver and we would, you know, we thought Tash and Oliver were going to be here for two weeks in the first lockdown and it became five months. Thank heaven. Um, they were fabulous. And every night he would play music to us that we've never heard of. Music that I haven't heard of. He's a jazz, he's studying jazz at Guildhall in London, which is a very prestigious school for music. And so he was playing us all this music that I'd never heard of. And I do think that it influenced me. It influenced the record. It kind of had to sit there and and cook a little bit like a like a good mulled wine but um it but it really did uh i think lead me to places unconsciously that i didn't even know and then i think the song just started to write itself and i i needed to address i guess um that i wanted to break some patterns i mean i don't know what you did all during all the lockdowns but sometimes you just sit there and think you know what, I need to change this up. How I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z or this situation, I just want to react differently. I just, the old way isn't working for me anymore. And so I went back through my life and realized that, you know, I had to, I had to really look at certain things in my life that maybe I've, I've been reacting from my damaged place, my damaged self, the self that, that um, didn't, you know, that was kind of, was really wounded. So I was working and reacting from my wounded part of my being instead of the healing side. And that song really is about trying to break that pattern. It's interesting to, um, I mean, and I guess it's the obvious line here too. Um, it's that when you needed to change something from your past, you had to have a reckoning with your past. Like you had to spend that time there. That's right. Uh, yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah. The one thing I, I meant to ask earlier, too, is the timing. Um, well, just the follow up in nature that this happens to be the record that followed Native Invaders when we were talking about, you know, humans being the <laughs> the virus upon the earth. And, and I think that happened for a lot of artists in the sense that something they wrote before the pandemic ended up speaking so much to the pandemic. But was there, did, did you have that moment where you thought, well, that's interesting because, you know, here we are and the actual virus is now taking over. And I know I'm taking a little bit of liberty with the context of what Native Invaders was about, but uh, it, it seemed to me that those two did speak together in, in, in that way, even if just a little bit. Well, it's the, the reality is the muses know things and have um, a consciousness that I have, I can't even begin to figure out what they're up to, what they know, what they don't know, how they time travel. Um, I've been see, I've been feeling them, and I guess seeing them since I can remember. It's not, I'm not, I'm not just spinning a tale here. I'm, I'm telling you the truth because if I wrote all this stuff by myself, I would, 
I mean, I would, how, but I don't because I know when I write by myself what it sounds like and what it is. And I can probably write a song, many songs a day that nobody will ever want to hear, trust me. But when they are involved, it's very different. But I don't know what they know and I don't know what they don't know because they don't tell me. And um, they're, they're benevolent, but they can be quite tough. They just, they don't suffer fools. They don't have time. They're like, Tor, we don't have time for your shenanigans. We're going to go see Bjork, okay? <laughs> so pull it together or we're out of here. <laughs> and that's how they operate. So I, I don't know what they knew, but sometimes I do find it a little bit coincidental. Um, some, of, some of their, uh, I don't know, their, their inspiration, their vision. And um, I'm just humbled by them, really. Do you notice, did, or did, have you noticed a, a difference um, in the way you spoke about the environment on that record and the way it is now? Because obviously things haven't gotten better. No, they haven't, have they? Um, so for us to kind of really face what what is upon us, it's, I know it can be overwhelming for some of us, but we still have to see what's happening before our eyes. And in some parts of the world, we know that some people, they, they suffered the fires, the tragedy of that, the, the floods that other people, they've lost people, they've lost their life. Um, and, and yet, how are we going to turn this thing around? When are we going to hit bottom? I think that's the question that some of the, of the naturalists are asking us. The environmentalists are saying, where, when is the penny going to drop, team? When are we going to get it so that we have to shift and change together? But And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer, but I do know that the muses said to me something. They said, listen, if you're going to change your frequency, first you have to acknowledge where you are and then begin. Begin, go to the music, Tori, because that's, that's your language. So go there. That's what you know. That's how you move. That's how you, you travel the galaxy. You, you could as a child. So you need to relearn that now. So you can't just travel physically. But yes, you can go to the galactic center sonically. Remember, you, you just, you've done it before. You just need to do it and stop wallowing. I mean, girl, you're drowning in a foot of water. Come on. I am so happy that you do that uh, because what you just said is how I feel better about my days it's I look for solace in the music and I look for that magic and you continue to do that every time you, and and I'll quickly just point out that you did that even last year that Christmas Tide uh EP uh was so good and so perfectly timed in what I needed to hear right then so oh, thanks that means yeah. the world thank you yeah. Tori thank you thank you for doing what you do ocean to ocean is is so so good um and I'm so happy we got to talk about it again so thank you me too all the best so you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Now, as I mentioned in this interview, Tori and I last spoke just uh, last year about her book, Resistance, A Songwriter's Story of Hope, Change, and Courage, which is her second biography uh, that found uh, Tori diving into writing uh, during a crisis, both collective and and personal. So I want to include that interview here for you to part two of Kyle Meredith with Tori Amos. Hi, Kyle. Is everybody well and safe? You know, as much as we can. Uh, I mean, everybody is healthy uh, right now. I hope you all are too. 
Yes, we are. So we're we're grateful for that. We're in um, Cornwall here in the UK. We're in farm country. <laughs> yeah, that's where the house and the recording studio. That's where that is. Here in um, where Mark used to to go he, as a child to the coast with his parents. So this is Mark's casa. So we're we're the good. The good news is the farmers are up early and they're keeping the supply chain going and giving it their best. People don't talk a lot about the farmers, but I see, I, I see them out there on their tractors. Oh, they're going to keep the world going. That's for certain right now. Yeah, that's right. They don't get talked about a lot because there's so many other people on the front line that are risking their lives. And, and of course, it has to be acknowledged. But when I see the farmers, and I, I don't know, there's something in me that says, Okay, busy at work. They see a future. They they want to make sure that there's everybody gets looked after as best as they can. So that gives me hope. Well, I want to talk about the book. I know, um, first off, I have to tell you how much I've enjoyed reading Resistance. Uh, it's such a unique way to tell this story, and, uh, and, and there's so much insight. So thank you, first, for doing it. You had written a, a book before, a biography before. I know you talk about, especially towards the end, about uh, you know uh, your mother kind of encouraging you to go to your songs for remembrance. Beyond that, why did you want to dig deeper? What pushed you to to, to kind of do a, a second run at, at your life story? Well, my editor Rakesh um, Satchel, who is an amazing person and was involved in the first book that was written with Ann Powers, the journalist. Mm -hmm. So the difference is that Ann did a lot of the heavy lifting on the first book, piece by piece. And resistance, if you hate it, then guilty. (laughs) I'm guilty because he was a great editor and pushed me to, to write it. And he said to me in late 2017, when I was touring the record Native Invader, he came to the New York show and said, I think you need to write a story about the artistic process and writing during crisis. And if our democracy is at risk, do you feel a call to action as as a songwriter? And that was the beginning of the conversation. And you talk a lot about that. Really early on in the book, I think you use a term that I really loved about being in opposition to something is to be in a position of power, uh, which is an is an interesting flip uh, that I don't think I'd ever kind of taken in that, that context. But that meaning changes throughout the book, too, whether you're talking about uh, politics or whether you're talking about, you know, songwriting or, or however. When did you notice, like, those strong themes? Like, I guess you're, you're saying you went into it sort of with an idea of how it would be told. But was it very obvious as you were getting started that, that that's what it was, that resistance was the theme? Yes, we knew that. But we had thought it would be more of a Q&A type of book with him asking the questions and me supplying answers. And then we realized that wasn't telling the story that needed to to be told, that people needed to travel in a time machine and go back. When I was in crisis, personally and collectively with the rest of the world, so the personal crisis of, of my failure in 1988, when my first record bombed, nobody really knew about it because it bombed so quietly, but it shook me to the core, which created Little Earthquakes, which was the record that took four years. And then that really began my solo career, which was released in 92. And so I felt like, you know, talking about the the personal trauma is one thing and writing toward that. But then there's the collective trauma, which being in New York on 9-11 and then being um, Letterman's first music guest and, and my goodness, the, what do you call it, the, the pressure and the responsibility that I felt to address the nation's grief and do it, you know, really take it seriously because people were hurting, as you will remember. Mm-hmm. And you became... I mean, of course, your fans have turned towards you through the years as, as sort of a, a beacon uh, of different types. And and obviously, you've become a spokesperson for resistance in many different ways. We've had these moments of crisis all through, you know, every decade, it seems. And obviously, we're in another one right right now. Uh, I would wonder, is it 
does it feel different now than it used to be? Uh, especially, I don't know if, does it, I mean, when an artist looks to you, uh, when a fan looks to you like this, is it a weight? Did you ever feel like it's a weight that you've kind of thrown in your lap when, when they expect you to kind of show the way a bit? Well, it's a responsibility. And I think, you know, all artists are their own type of artists. And I would never, ever tell another artist how, how to address a time because I think you have to do it in the way that's genuine for you when you find your your true north as an artist and that wasn't easy for me to find it took me a while to find it um i had to have a failure and listen to the commercial suits at the record label and you know wear a bustier and try and and be a rock chick that frankly i just couldn't pull that off because it was disingenuous. So I think once you find what type of writer you are, as Tasha said to me, when Netflix called me up a while ago and, and wanted to do a project, and I said to her, oh, Tash, Netflix, that should be fun. And in her British accent, she said, you know, Mom, sorry to break your heart, but no one really calls you for fun. <laughs> so, so that's, therefore, I'm writing now at the time for the new record. And of course, this crisis that we're going through and the stories I'm hearing from people and the experiences, and people are having so many different types of experiences, and they're asking amazing questions. I mean, they really are, Kyle, incredible questions. Like, will we get our freedoms back right. like we had before? Will we? I mean, so when when I get these questions from I don't call them fans, really. I call them sort of my intel. Mm -hmm. They're they're sort of my MI6 boots on the ground. <laughs> and and these songs, I believe you've called them in the book to uh, you know a call to action. Sometimes when the, when the muses are speaking to you in in a, in a certain way, it becomes a call to action. Which, I, I don't know, may, might be different when you're writing a song like that than where you would write, you know, uh, something that isn't. Uh, I'll generically say a love song or something like that. Are the words chosen differently then? Uh, does it become a very different type of, of way that you write when it is something uh, that speaks to a moment like this? Yes. It's about intention. And it's about sometimes with a moment like this, you're dealing with a collective grief and huge loss. And if you're called to write to that, you know, that that, that is a weight because not everybody will be called to do that. And I respect those artists who will want to bring laughter. And we will need laughter, no question. But I am a Libra moon, so I'm always looking for the balance. And people will be bringing laughter um, when it's appropriate and when it's time. But we also need to address how we got into this situation. And we have to address the corruption and we have to address the consequences of not preparing when we've been being warned about something like this. And that's the type of writer that I am some of the time. Sometimes it's it's more about personal loss, like losing my mother. And anybody who's lost somebody that they love, I think, will really resonate with that. I had no idea what grief was until I lost my mother. And I've lost people that I cared for. I don't know how to say it, Kyle. It's not like I'm totally heartless, but and it hurt, and I missed him. But when I lost my mother, I mean, my world fell to pieces. I was in absolute pieces for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that's really when the book started to come together. And when I wrote that, my editor, Rakesh, called me up and said, okay, I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is I love the Mary chapters. Now, the bad news is you now need to rewrite the book on that level. And so after a year and a half of writing, I had to rewrite the book in three months. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I did because, because, you know, Kyle, sometimes as this is the same with records too. You think you're going down the right road and you think you're telling the story and then you realize 
you you have that kismet moment. There are those eureka moments where you go, oh, my God, that's the energy I need to be working with, that kind of passion for my subject. So that's just what being an artist is about. Well, you know, let me be the millionth person to compliment you on, on how you write your lyrics, too, because... Uh, that's one of the most, uh, well, that's one of your greatest traits, the most unique things about you. There are, especially, you know, it's one thing to hear a song uh, and obviously a, a different thing to just read the lyrics uh, on a page. And when I read Ophelia out loud, it's a song that I had heard before uh, um, several times, many times, I don't know, but uh, it hit me how you take those moments that you're talking about, uh, that even the moments of anger and intent and purpose become sort of um, fragile uh, in a way or, or delicate. Like, when I read it, it was so very close to how I interpreted, like, Allen Ginsberg's America, if you're familiar with that poem. It's like a protest from a place of love. Wow. You know. Well, well, that's quite, that's quite a compliment. That's very humbling. What happened with the, the lyric idea is... Kavita, a friend of mine, was cooking dinner for me. She's an amazing cook. She's British Indian, and I love Indian food. And we were having a little too much wine that night. And at a certain point, she just looked at me and said, please don't take this the wrong way, T. And I, I, I really like your songs and everything, but I have no idea what you're talking about because I can't hear music and lyrics at the same time. I just can't do that. So she asked me to read lyrics to her. This was like two years ago. And so I read them to her. I just started talking to her. And she said, well, I never knew that it meant that. I never heard it that way. Right. And so on the audio book, I'm reading the lyrics probably for the first time because they, they've been so connected to the music. For me, they're a marriage. They were constructed together. That's their their DNA. But I've been taught the songs are teaching me that they wanted to live in this form, too, in spoken word form. So that's just been this crazy, most challenging thing I've ever done is write a book. I don't know if I'd recommend it or if I'd ever do it again. <laughs> I was hoping there was going to be an audio version where you did that. I didn't know that there was, but I, I was hoping that there was. So I look forward to to hearing that as well. That was um yeah. It took it took a, a whole week of a, a lot of recording to do it because it's it's one thing reading something you've written. It's another thing reading it out loud and make getting the tone right making sure my tone is right and that, that it doesn't take the listener down the wrong path. Well, I want to quickly, you, you mentioned it, and I do want to ask about you know how this how this has affected uh, the new record that you're working on, because in the book you were saying that you know hopefully this was uh, going to be a record that was going to be out uh, around uh, the election, and, and that would make sense with a lot of things you're talking about. I, I would wonder if things have changed because the world has stopped, and that includes even pressing plans for... for physical music, but but also because of the way the book ends. Um, has what's currently happening uh, with with COVID uh, changed any of the songs or, or the direction of the album uh, as well as well uh, as the way the book ends as well? Absolutely. It's changing the record as we speak. And people would call my British husband, who who is a bit grumpy, um, but funny, and says he usually should never be allowed to meet anybody because his cynicism. Not everybody gets British humor, and it took me years to get it. But anyway, my point is, 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, many, I, I can't count, so 23 years ago, he was uh, called by his voices to come back to Cornwall here in England and build in the middle of nowhere. And musicians from L.A. would fly in or wherever, New York, and go, okay, you guys live in the middle of nowhere with all these farmers. There's no streetlights. There's no town for 30 minutes, okay? There's no, like, proper store or anything. And people would kind of giggle because, you know, it smells like farm. But then you kind of think, oh, my goodness, well, in a time like this, where we're all under not house arrest, but where we are, you know, quarantining, 
right, I just walk outside and into the barn, and there's this Star Trek recording studio with a Busendorfer, and I say, oh, my God, my crazy, grumpy husband isn't so crazy after all. <laughs> so, I'm, of course, the record's changing. It, how could it not if you're going to write towards what people are going through right now, which is, you've talked about we face crises before, but this this is affecting people on every level, um, and it and it has to be. I think it's an opportunity for artists to hear what people are going through and to try and put that into their art form. Well, I, I look forward to hearing how that all results. And the last time we talked to our Native Invader, I complimented your husband's guitar playing on Up the Creek as well. It's still uh, a high note for me. So uh, grumpy or not, uh, I love the way you all work together. It's always well, like, it's I'll good. tell him that. Maybe maybe he'll make me a nice margarita after <laughs> I tell him that. <laughs> I know we all probably need one. Tori, it's, uh, it's been such an honor and a pleasure once again to talk to you. Thank you so much for everything that you do and put out in the world. Uh, it's always appreciated. Well, thank you, Kyle. And I just want to send big air hugs to to your listeners because everybody's going through so many emotions at this time. So I just want to send a big air hug and to say, you know, people, you guys are resilient. You're you're more powerful than you realize, and we we can get through this. Yes, we're going to lose people, and that's tragic, but we have to try and be there for each other. So I just want to send air hugs to all those on the front line and to all those artists who we're going to need. So I thank you for all you do, Kyle. All right. Thank you. It's a beautiful sentiment. We appreciate sentiment. it. Yeah. Take care. Okay. You too. And now for part three, we'll head back to 2017 when Tori released the uh, LP Native Invader. Uh, of course, this uh, was a big uh, a big topic about the environment and our very existence at stake. I thought that fit with uh, what we were talking about in the original interview in this episode as well. So I'll include it here. Part three of Kyle Meredith with Tori Amos. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? I'm, I'm really excited to be talking to you. I, I feel like you've done a beautiful record as well as a frightening record. You're taking on a lot of big topics on here, but I, I, I see what you've done, and, and it's sort of a master stroke because instead of just talking about these big topics, it seemed like you went for the people and, and the person in those moments. I guess um, the music said to me, listen, you have to stop reacting, Tori. That's not productive. Not for you. Everybody has different ways of expressing themselves, but you need to do it through songs. And we're going to send you these songs, but you, you need to create a safe space. You need to be a safe space, T, because we're sending you a sonic secret garden, a sonic wildwood. And that means that within it, there'll be things that people can take from this sonic world um, that may be resilience, maybe questions, but it's not going to be destructive. We're not we're not planting destructive seeds, and we have to outcreate this destructive energy. I was thinking, you know, when you when you get online and everything, it's just it's just so much noise that's happening when everyone's arguing, even amongst themselves. But with this record, it's almost like you could see the whites of their eyes. You know, it's not just everyone screaming; it's actually a conversation, and I guess that's so important when you're making art well yes because somebody said to me i'm losing friends and i've lost myself to being consumed on certain days and i could feel the tears and the emotion and it seemed to me well all right we we all have to remember that we're all creative forces it might be that somebody's creative in the kitchen or a gardener or they write stories or it, it could be many different ways of creating. But when somebody said, this friend, I'm losing this friend because I don't know who they are. They're so angry now. I can't find my friend anymore. And I found that incredibly heartbreaking. And those kinds of stories ended up in songs on Native Invader. I mean, I've gone through the same stuff with my family. It's so weird and rough. Uh, you know, beyond what I've ever experienced. Papa said to me, my grandfather in the 60s, he said to me, you know, we haven't recovered as a, as a community, as a family, not just our family, but America hasn't recovered yet from the Civil War in the 19th century. And this was in the 60s, 100 years later. And that is really um, something that's come back, his voice telling me that, because I haven't seen this energy in my life, I'm 54 now, and yes, in the late 60s, 
we had division and there were tensions and it was divisive. But there seems to be something else, a, a different quality, almost, whether it's fear-based, because hate usually is a place coming from fear. Fear of, of the other. Fear of something not a reflection of you. And I just remember Papa saying that. So I turned to the muses in times of crisis, that's for sure. Well, speaking of crisis, I mean, there's a lot of this record that is about environmental crisis that could happen, that is happening. Does it add any weight that all this is coming out at the same time that something like Hurricane Harvey, you know, has wreaked havoc over the South? I mean, is it one of those moments like, can't you see what's happening? Well, that's, we've all been watching, watching from London, the tragedy of Houston and the other cities affected by Hurricane Harvey. And what you, you ask yourself, what will it take to get to people that we have to not deny anymore, that we, we are in crisis and we, we have to act. So that's just what we need to do now. I mean, here in Kentucky, you know, Louisville is a blue town in a red state, but it seems like we all band together. And no matter how big we shout, there's this one guy who just doesn't listen and, and nothing changes. And it's very frustrating. It, it, it makes me start thinking about the whole thing about, you know, thinking globally, acting locally. It's just turning around and trying to fix the space that you're in. Yes, but, but it, seems, it seems as if our teenagers are waking up. And I take heart in that. After the states pulled out of the Paris Accord, Cash looked at me and just said, Mom, grown-ups are messing with my generation's future and could be killing our future. And I said, yes, I, I understand what you're saying. And she said to me, well, we have to do something. So we joined forces. Uh, she's singing on up the creek. And, and it, was, it was really inspiring to, to see the world from her eyes and her passion, her commitment. Uh, by the way, you know, I, I just, so we've been playing up the creek in like heavy rotation for two or three weeks already. And it wasn't until studying for this interview last night that I realized that she even sings on it. Like I've heard that so many times and it never hit me that that wasn't you. Your voices are so close. Uh, well, yeah, she's a, she starts the song. I, I'm the desert sister gal, but she's, she's good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. It's amazing how well you two blend together. I mean, now that I hear it, now that I know it, I completely hear it. Well, we jam a lot together, if I'm honest with you. We enjoy jamming. And she, um, she's been playing acoustic guitar for a while, but she discovered her dad's pedals and his Marshall stack of, of speakers. And so um, she's been wailing on her electric guitar now. So her style is starting to change. Changed very quickly. And by the way, uh, props to your your husband. The guitar playing on this is pretty mesmerizing as well. Is that also him on the uh, Up the Creek as well? Oh yeah. Just shreds in all the right moments. Like, <laughs> you know, playing with that title a little bit. I've heard you talk about it sort of in a as much a positive light as a negative light, and it's it is interesting to play with it. And I dare use the word fun when we're talking about topics like this, but. In this very specific sense, it is very fun to play with that title, especially when you're looking at it, you know, nature versus historical human moments, but it all seems like it equals to we're killing ourselves. Native invader, from different perspectives, means different things. Mary had a stroke, and that is a native invader, and there's no positive side to that. Tash is also a native invader, having sort of squatted in, in mommy condo for nine months. Um, rent-free, but uh, that was a win-win, a symbiotic relationship. So sometimes, depending on what lens you're looking at, the words native invader, it can seem like a paradox and that those two can't live together. But actually, we have to reinvade certain words like freedom, certain words like liberty. We, we have to reinvade, find their DNA, replant that DNA, those seeds, put them deep down into earth and let them take root. It's hard to stay optimistic, but it sounds like you're optimistic, and I'm going to try to hold on to that. You know what? We, we have to believe in the youth. Juliana versus the United States woke me up. The Benjamins woke me up. Benjamins can be women, young women, as well as young men. And um, they were sending me messages through people. Did I understand what was going on? 
did I really understand? Not, not about one person or two people, but did I understand the consequences for our planet, for our youth, for ourselves, clean water, what that means? And so what, in, what has encouraged me, Kyle, is that the youth are waking up and are taking their planet back. Yeah. The militia of the mind, they are rising. I'm encouraged by them. I'm encouraged by their commitment to their planet and, and their philosophy and responsibility, choosing. They're going to make life choices. They're going to. And, and they're, what I'm seeing is, is they're making choices because they want a healthy planet. It is a crisis point. They know they're in crisis. But they're, what I'm seeing is they want to act and want to be... Mm, make a change and be that change. Well, powerful words, and uh, and I, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap it up here too. I, I really appreciate talking to you today, Tori, and you taking the time. and And this this record, uh, like I said, is is just fantastic. I've loved every every bit of it. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for having me. No problem. And we'll see you around. Okay, rock on. And again, my thanks, Tori Amos. Uh, the new record is called Ocean to Ocean. Thanks to you. For making your way here, checking out the episode, please do hit the subscribe button before you get out. Uh, again, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with for three brand new interviews every single week. Then after that, head over to WFPK.org where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. It's Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at wfpk.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots. That's uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith, over on TikTok at Kyle M. Meredith. The M stands for a mandatory. Sure, that works. I am Kyle Meredith. That does it for another edition. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Okay, bye-bye. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at wfpk.org, from Louisville Public Media. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.